Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. Where we celebrate poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Giles Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter combination based in London in the United Kingdom. And each fortnight we bring you a new episode, usually discovering a different Commonwealth country. There are 56 in all. And I think so far since we began the podcast, we visited 20 or more. But today, since we are a father and daughter, and since next week is Father's Day around most of the Commonwealth, we thought we would do something a little bit different. What's the idea, Afra? Well, as you are my dad and you've shared with me your love of poetry, I thought it might be fun this week to take the opportunity to celebrate fathers, um, all the fathers there are out there, those that are still with us and those that sadly may not be, and share some poems about dads and fatherhood. Why not? I mean, we all have fathers somewhere along the line. Some of us still know and love our fathers. Some of us maybe had rather mixed relations with our fathers. Some of us maybe didn't even know who our fathers were. So it's an interesting area. It's quite a complicated area. But uh, for many, it's a celebration next Sunday. People will be honouring their fathers around the world. Do you know what the origin of Father's Day is? I, I do, partly because Father's Day as we know it, modern Father's Day, dates back to the year in which my own father was born, which was way back in 1910. My father would always like to have been called an Edwardian. He wasn't. If he'd been an Edwardian, that would have been the fact that he'd been born during the reign of King Edward VII, the son of Queen Victoria. He wasn't a Victorian, he wasn't an Edwardian, because he was just born just after the death of Edward VII in 1910. Um, so he was a Georgian, born at the beginning of the reign of King George V. It's quite a long time ago. And uh, the Father's Day has been celebrated on the third Sunday in June since 1910. It was founded in the state of Washington in the United States uh, by uh, the, the, the person who pioneered it was a daughter called Sonora Smart Dodd. Uh, it's now celebrated in at least 111 countries around the world, and that includes many Commonwealth countries. As you know, there are 56 Commonwealth countries in all. Uh, but uh, in, uh, there are cultures in which it's been celebrated or honouring your father has been going on for longer than that. In some Catholic countries in Europe, uh, it's been celebrated on the 19th of March rather than the third Sunday in June uh, as St. Joseph's Day. St. Joseph, of course, was the, uh, the partner, um, the husband of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus in the um, New Testament story. Uh, and that's been celebrated, I think, since the Middle Ages. Sikhs celebrate Father's Day on the 29th of December, uh, the birthday of Guru Gobind Singh. I think in some Islamic countries, uh, it's set following the months of the Islamic calendar. So there is a great tradition of honouring and celebrating fathers to the extent that in some countries, I think Lithuania is one of them, uh, and some parts of Spain, and maybe even there was a time in Italy when you actually got a day off. It was a national holiday. You got a public holiday. Uh, it's still, I think, a national holiday in Estonia, Samoa, uh, and uh, South Korea, where they combine it, I think they make it Parents' Day, you know, to be at the the, the, the modern end. They put the mothers and the, and the fathers together and parents in general. So it's a, it's an old tradition and a worthwhile tradition, I think. 
I love the idea of celebrating dads and um, it's wonderful to have the chance to say thank you and, and to remember all of the great dads out there. What was your dad like when you were growing up? I, hope, I thought you were going to end up by saying uh, great dads out there, including you, Dad. <laughs> but instead you want to ask me about my dad. Well, as I've told you, my father was born in 1910. And I mentioned that he would like to have been an Edwardian. Uh, and indeed, his father would have been a Victorian, born during the reign of Queen Victoria, a long time ago now. But why it's relevant to our poetry podcast is that my father loved poetry, and he particularly loved reciting poems. And this, of course, was because uh, he was brought up at a time when there wasn't all the instant entertainment available that there is now. He was brought up, brought up before the era of the podcast, before the invention of the iPod, the iPlayer, or, or the gadgetry. In fact, he was brought up before the era of the cinema as we know it, before radio, before television, in a world where people made their own entertainment, where families would gather in the, in the kitchen or in the parlor if they had one at the piano. They would sing songs. They would, they'd play games but they would learn poetry by heart and would perform it in the family. And my father was brought up uh, to learn poetry. And he had reams of poetry in his head to the end of his life. Um, and the sort of poems that I remember him enjoying, they were narrative poems. They usually told a story. And he particularly liked poems that had a comic feel to them. There was a famous... Uh, popular versifier called W.S. Gilbert, William Schwenk Gilbert, best known, of course, as the person who wrote the lyrics for the famous operettas written by Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Sir Arthur Sullivan, great composer, W.S. Gilbert, great lyricist, writer of popular verse. And Gilbert wrote some poems that were collected in a book that is still available that I recommend if you like humorous poetry called The Bab Ballads. And my father had lots of poems, and, and he would love performing them. So I was brought up to love uh, the idea of learning poetry by heart. Now, you, Afra, do you have any poems in your head that you've learned by heart? I have little snippets of poems that I've learned by heart, but more verses rather than the, the whole poem itself. Now, you have children. So there's a father in your family, your husband, Ian, you have got three children. I trust that he's been a good dad. Of course. <laughs> we can salute We can salute him for Father's Day. Uh, did you speak poetry to your children before they were born? We definitely did. And ah. I think poets... Before they were born? Well, I like to think... <laughs> oh, no, this is good. No, because if you did, you would have given them a great advantage in life, as I'll explain. I definitely, um, especially when you're a new first-time dad, uh, of being pregnant, you're very excited and you've still got time and energy to think about these sorts of things. Once you've got two or three children, you don't have so much yeah, time to worry about The novelty wears off. You're not so quite so excited. But I, I definitely read in many pregnancy magazines about speaking to your child before they're born. Yeah. And I think things like nursery rhymes, which are a type of poetry, of are they things are. that you would certainly have said um, definitely to little children, and perhaps when I was pregnant as well. It was a while ago now, so it's hard to remember. Well, you're spot on there. And indeed, many of the people that we've been speaking to on the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast have talked about the traditions in their country, not so much of poetry as of song. 
uh, and people sing to their babies and even when they're unborn babies. And wise people do recite rhythmical poetry to their children before they're born. And there is a, maybe people do it instinctively, but there is a good reason for doing it. As I discovered a few years ago, I produced an anthology of poetry called Dancing by the Light of the Moon, which is a collection of some 300 poems to learn by heart, because I've always loved learning poems by heart, and I've instinctively felt there were benefits. But for this book, I decided to do some research. And I found myself visiting the memory laboratory at Cambridge University, where when I went there, I discovered there were lots of mothers, a few fathers, but parents with small children, very small children, babies. And these babies had kind of electrodes attached to their heads, and they were measuring what was going on inside these babies' heads uh, when they were having poetry read to them. Anyway, the long or short of the research is that if you speak rhythmical poetry to babies before they are born and after they are born, there is evidence that you will be helping these children with their language skills as time goes by. Uh, performing, speaking, uh, reading poems to babies uh, before they're born and when they are born and after they're born will help them with their use of the language. They will speak earlier and better. They will read earlier and better. They will even write earlier and better. Isn't that extraordinary? It's amazing. What a great idea. Uh, and it's something to do, I mean, it's, it's the way you, as you were, stimulate the, the brain and you sort of almost hardwire into it a, um, an appreciation of language, collecting all the bits and pieces. You need to uh, to, to read the book to, to discover the science because I point you in the right direction. But it is remarkable. And, and children have a facility for picking up poetry and verse. I have done some shows, uh, theatre shows, with a very great British actress, Dame Judi Dench, internationally famous, both um, as a classical actress, also as a movie star, famously M in the James Bond films for several years. And she told me, when we were talking about what she loved uh, to read when she was a little girl in terms of poetry, she told me that she, I said to her, what are the first poems you learnt? And I expected her to say, you know, Baba Black Sheep or the Out of the Pussycat. She said, no, Shakespeare. I said, no, no, when you were a very little girl, what was it? She said, Shakespeare. I said, really? Yes. She said, my father, she gave great credit to her father, my father was reciting poetry all the time, morning, noon and night, particularly Shakespeare. So she said, I picked up Shakespeare when I was a small girl, three, four years of age. And I found this a bit hard to believe. But when I was at the memory laboratory in Cambridge, I mentioned this to the scientist I was meeting, and she said to me, oh, it's quite possible that she could have learned Shakespeare when she was very young. She may not have understood it, but she could certainly have learnt it, because Shakespeare writes, in the main, in the iambic pentameter. That's the rhythm of, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. Uh, the, the rhythm in which the Shakespeare is written uh, is the iambic pentameter. And that rhythm is the same rhythm as the beating of your heart. So it's called learning by heart for a reason. That rhythm of Shakespeare is the rhythm of the beating of your heart. So 
Many advantages to learning poetry by heart or speaking poetry when you're a small person or two small people, but also at the other end of the spectrum, when you're more my vintage, the great advantage of learning poetry by heart is that uh, it keeps the synapses supple. You know, your brain is a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. And it can help. Uh, there's, again, research on this. It can help keep dementia at bay. It can help keep your mind active to be learning poetry by heart. So whatever... Wherever you are in the age spectrum, learn some poems by heart. Now, do you find it easy, Afra, to learn a poem by heart? I uh, don't want to show off, but yes, I don't find it too difficult oh. to learn uh, things by heart. I think I'm very lucky. I've probably got that, well, from you and from mum, the ability to memorise things. But I also think the truth is anyone can learn a poem by heart. That's part of the joy of it, is it's something that's really accessible to everyone. I'm certainly not very good at doing things like playing musical instruments, so I can't show off by doing that. The reason I'm... you're not very good at playing musical instruments is you did not persist with the lessons. You could be a <laughs> fine... Did you learn the cello as well as the piano? I did, I did. No, no expense spared, no lesson not uh, offered. Yeah, offered, but were they, <laughs> were they taken? Were the lessons absorbed? I don't know that they were. I have a, a trick to, which I share to help people learn poems by heart and that is not to try and learn the whole poem because you'll be overwhelmed by it but to try and learn two lines of poetry at a time and build up so that for example I mean I, I, my favorite short poem is a limerick um, which goes like this there was a young man from Peru whose limerick stopped at line two <laughs> that is the end of the poem. Uh, but it's only two lines, and anyone listening to this can remember it. There was a young man from Peru whose limerick stopped at line two. You won't forget that. But the point is, actually, two lines are quite easy to learn in a day. You know, repeat them during the day, repeat them in the evening when you're taking your shower, say them to yourself last thing at night. Whatever the two lines are, you're likely to remember them. Well, once you've absorbed two lines, the next day, repeat those two lines, you've got them in your head, then go on to the next two lines. And that way, if you do two lines a day, in seven days, you can learn a sonnet. You know, a Shakespeare, a Shakespeare poem, 14 lines, a great sonnet. Uh, an old sonnet by somebody like Shakespeare or somebody like William Wordsworth, who wrote great sonnets. Or there are modern people writing sonnets. So it's not impossible. That's the exciting challenge. And maybe... Uh, it's a week to go before Father's Day. As a present for your father, if you don't want to spend any money, you could learn a poem for him. And that's what today's podcast is about, sharing with you some poems about fathers. Some of them are forefathers. Some of them are descriptions of relationships with fathers. Uh, we've chosen, I mean, there are many, you know, go online, see if you can find other poems. But I hope you will find these ones stimulating. Have you got one to share with us now? Yes, I have. And the first one I'm going to share is one that my mother loved. Um, and she, my, my mother, my father was born in 1910. My mother was born in 1914. This is from a much earlier era. And my mother enjoyed traditional poetry. And this is a traditional poem by somebody who was, uh, I think he was British and American, uh, Edgar Albert Guest was his name. He was hugely popular in the first half of the 20th century, writing, as you can, as you will hear when you hear the poem, very straightforward verses. Often they had a kind of 
most sentimental feel to them. Um, they they were warm, they were reassuring, uh, and they were much loved. And this poem is, I would say, a traditional Father's Day poem. It's called Only a Dad by Edgar Albert Guest. Only a dad with a tired face coming home from the daily race, bringing little of gold or fame to show how well he has played the game, but glad in his heart that his own rejoice to see him come and to hear his voice. Only a dad with a brood of four, one of ten million men or more, plodding along in the daily strife, bearing the whips and the scorns of life, with never a whimper of pain or hate, for the sake of those who at home await. Only a dad, neither rich nor proud, merely one of the surging crowd, toiling, striving from day to day, facing whatever may come his way, silent whenever the harsh condemn, and bearing it all for the love of them. Only a dad, but he gives his all to smooth the way for his children small, doing with courage stern and grim the deeds that his father did for him. This is the line that for him I pen, only a dad, but the best of men. Oh, I love that, the it's best a, of men. It's, it's a nice poem, and funnily enough, when I was uh, reading it in anticipation of reading it out loud for us now, I was remembering that conversation we, we had with the novelist and poet uh, Ben Okri, whose family originally came from Nigeria and who was uh, brought up at the time of the Nigerian Civil War in the 1960s. And he talked to us about his father. And I remember him saying how his father had had some success in his life and had been quite prosperous at times. His father was a lawyer. And then as a result of, of partly of the civil war, but of other causes as well, uh, lost his fortune. And having lived in one of the best parts of Lagos, found himself living in one of the poorest parts of Lagos. But uh, Ben describes his father as always being the same person, maintaining his dignity at all times. And as I read that poem, I, I thought, obviously of my own father, uh, but also of Ben Okri's father. So I'm mentioning that if you're new to the podcast, you've just dipped in and you've only been to one of our countries so far, or you've just joined us today for the first time, do go back uh, along the catalogue and um, discover some of the other people and the various different countries in the Commonwealth where they're telling their personal story and reading their favourite poems. What have you chosen for us as your first poem? Well, we were talking about William Wordsworth before and talking about sonnets. So I thought I would share a poem by Wordsworth. It's not one of his best known poems, but the reason I quite like it is because um, part of the theme of the poem is that a father can learn from their child too. And I thought that might be a good theme to share with you, oh, Dad. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm understanding this. So this is called Anecdote for Fathers, and it was first published in 1798 in a collection of lyrical ballads, which Wordsworth co-authored with uh, another great poet of the same era, Coleridge. And I think the father is narrating the stories and he's going for 
uh, a walk with his son. This isn't a sonnet by William Wordsworth. I suggest you're going to start learning, start with a sonnet. But he's one of the, the great English poets. Um, so wonderful choice. Take it away, Afra. Anecdote for fathers. I have a boy of five years old. His face is fair and fresh to see. His limbs are cast in beauty's mould and dearly he loves me. One morn we strolled on our dry walk, all quiet home all full in view, and held such intermitted talk as we are wont to do. My thoughts on former pleasures ran, I thought of Kilve's delightful shore, our pleasant home when spring began, a long, long year before. A day it was when I could bear some fond regrets to entertain, with so much happiness to spare, I could not feel a pain. The green earth echoed to the feet of lambs that bounded through the glade, from shade to sunshine, and as fleet from sunshine back to shade. Birds warbled round me, and each trace of inward sadness had its charm. Kilve, thought I, was a favoured place, and so is Liswyn Farm. My boy beside me tripped so slim and graceful in his rustic dress, and as we talked I questioned him in very idleness. Now, tell me, had you rather be, I said and took him by the arm, on Kilve's smooth shore by the green sea, or here at Liswyn Farm? In careless mood he looked at me, while still I held him by the arm and said, at Kilve I'd rather be than here at Liswyn Farm. Now little Edward say, why so? My little Edward, tell me why. I cannot tell, I do not know. Why, this is strange, said I. For here are woods, hills, smooth and warm. There surely must one reason be why you would change sweet Liswyn Farm for Kilve by the green sea. At this, my boy hung down his head. He blushed with shame, nor made reply. And three times to the child I said, Why, Edward, tell me why? His head he raised, there was in sight, it caught his eye, he saw it plain, upon the housetop glittering bright, a broad and gilded vein. Then did the boy his tongue unlock and eased his mind with this reply. At Kilve there was no weathercock, and that's the reason why. Oh, dearest, dearest boy, my heart, for better law would seldom yearn, could I but teach the hundredth part of what from thee I learn. Wonderful, wonderful poem, written more than 200 years ago, and yet I think totally accessible. A few words there that one might need to check in the dictionary, and also you need to look at a map and discover exactly where Kilve is, maybe go on a, a Wordsworthian walk. Fantastic. Uh, incidentally, um, we've chosen poems that we're familiar with, but if you're listening to the podcast and you feel like sharing a poem, either one you've written or one that you would recommend, do please get in touch with us. We, ha we have a website and we have a forum, don't we? People can contribute to our forum. Is that right, Afra? We do. On the website, you can share poems or thoughts on poems or episodes that you've listened to, and we'd love people to join the conversation. And uh, we are produced, this podcast is produced by the University of Chester, 
which is in the northwest of England. It's a wonderful university um, with a variety of campuses. The main ones are in the city of Chester itself, but also in Warrington, uh, Shrewsbury, uh, around the northwest. And uh, we have a team there who very kindly make the podcast happen, but also manage the forum. Um, so, you know, get in touch. And if you have particularly, if you if you come from your heritage, uh, a poem about fatherhood, this is the week, this is the week to share it with us, isn't it? We'd love to hear those. So yes, go to commonwealthpoetrypodcast.co.uk. Excellent. Well, the poems we've been sharing with you so far have been uh, warm poems about fatherhood. And um, uh, obviously, we hope that you have had a, a positive paternal experience. But the truth is that not everybody has. Life is complicated. It isn't always easy. And um, having a father sometimes can be challenging. And I have to tell you that being a father can sometimes be challenging. <laughs> this is a very interesting poem by a famous uh, American poet, Theodore Retke. I think I pronounced it correctly. R-O-E-T-H-K-E. And uh, Theodore Retke had, I think, a complicated relationship with his father. Uh, I, I've included this poem in my anthology, Dancing by the Light of the Moon, because it, the poem is called My Papa's Waltz, and it's written almost in waltz time. Uh, do you know anything about um, Redke and his father? Afra? Well, uh, he was an American poet. Um, he was a very accomplished poet. Uh, I think he won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry in uh, something like 1954 and also the annual uh, National Book Award for poetry, not once but twice. Um, his father sadly did die when he was 14 years old. I don't know if that influenced the, the poem at all. Um, but as you referred to, the poem is in kind of beats that match the three-beat rhythm of a waltz. And, um, yes, there's some... It kind of talks about happy times, but also maybe undercurrents of... Yeah, that's, times. I think, what's interesting about this. It's got almost a fairground feel to it. And yet, maybe beneath beneath the waltz rhythm, there is a, there's darkness going on. Um, see what you think. The whiskey on your breath could make a small boy dizzy. But I hung on like death. Such waltzing was not easy. We romped until the pans slid from the kitchen shelf. My mother's countenance could not unfrown itself. The hand that held my wrist was battered on one knuckle. At every step you missed, my right ear scraped a buckle. You beat time on my head with a palm caked hard by dirt, then waltzed me off to bed still clinging to your shirt. Interesting. The ambivalence of childhood, uh, the nature of a father with whiskey on his breath, the mother's countenance could not unfrown itself. There's a complicated story going on there. And that's a poem that we've included to acknowledge the the complications there can be in uh, father-child relationships. So... What's next? Well, we've had lots of poems about fathers and sons, but it's nice to include daughters in it too, especially as we are a father and daughter duo. And um, so I thought we could share a poem by Anne Bradstreet, who also has, well, she was the first poet, I think male or female from America to have a book of poems published. 
And uh, that felt like it had some uh, symmetry with the fact that I'm named after a very famous British poet. You are named after who? I'm named after Afra Ben, who was the first uh, woman in Britain to be published. She was a poet and a, a playwright. Yeah, she certainly was. And I think also she she had a time when she was a spy for the the King's Court over in Holland. I think she had quite an adventurous life. Um, she wrote plays, she wrote poetry. Uh, so she was remarkable. But maybe we should have called you Anne. Would have been simpler than being called Afra. Uh, Anne Bradstreet, uh, I know about her only in part because we shared a birthday. She was born on March the 8th, so was I. She was born a little bit before me. She was born in 1612. She lived to 1672. Uh, and she was, well, she was hugely prominent as a poet before women became known for, for being poets. I mean, they were obviously, you know, uh, we haven't heard of them. They were still writing poetry, um, but it wasn't being published. But her writing was published, which is extraordinary. And you're telling me she's the first published poet, really, uh, that, that we know of, a female poet. Yes, in, in America. And I think maybe my... Google searching tells me, so uh, please do write into us if you think that we've got this wrong, that she may have been the first poet, uh, either male or female from America, to have a book of poems published. Congratulations to her. She was actually born in England, in Northampton. She was the, 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 the daughter of a man called Thomas Dudley, who was the steward of the Earl of Lincoln at the time. Um, and they were, they were Puritans, and they left England... Uh, to work in Massachusetts, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And um, they went, I think, on a famous ship, the um, Arbella, as part of the Winthrop fleet of Puritan emigrants uh, back in 1630. Uh, so uh, amazing. And I think uh, she came, she, she settled in Salem, Massachusetts, where famously there was the... the, the, the you know, the, the trials of the, the witches that became part of uh, Arthur Miller's famous play, uh, The Crucible, that we, that's how we know that story. Anyway, her own story is remarkable and interesting. And what is this poem about? What's it called? Well, the poem's called To Her Father with Some Verses. And shall I read it to you now? Please, I'd love to hear it. Most truly honoured and as truly dear, if worth in me or aught I do appear... Who can of right better demand the same than may your worthy self from whom it came? The principal might yield a greater sum, yet handled ill amounts but to this crumb. My stock's so small I know not how to pay, my bond remains in force unto this day. Yet for part payment take this simple might, where nothing's to be had, kings lose their right. Such is my debt, I may not say forgive, but as I can, I'll pay it while I live. Such is my bond, none can discharge but I. Yet paying is not paid until I die. Very good. Marvellous. Well, I think actually we've shared four very different, very interesting poems by four very different and interesting poets. We hope you will continue to join us every fortnight for a different visit to a different Commonwealth country. As I say, we've been to about 20 so far. There are 56 Commonwealth countries in all, but we do occasionally do special episodes, different episodes. Well, a little bit like this one. Our excuse was, we're a father and daughter, and next Sunday, around the world, we're marking a father's day. 
Uh, and we've got another special one coming up quite soon, haven't we? In fact, I, the one uh, after this, is, is that a, a special one that we're going to a palace? Am I right? It's a very special episode. We're not revealing yet where we're going, but I think we can say, yes, a palace it, of sorts. A palace of sorts. It is actually a royal palace, but people don't think of it as that. And we're meeting a man who is a politician, elected politician, and yet he is above party politics. And uh, we're going to hear about his story and his favourite poems and his particular interest, not just in the Commonwealth, but in other territories as well. Uh, I will share one secret with you, uh, and that it won't just be him that we meet, because he has a collection of animals, a bit of a menagerie, and there will be... Well, maybe I shouldn't give away too many secrets, but we did meet his cat. What was his cat called? Atley. Atley. So, yes, he's got pets that are named after different British prime ministers. I think he's also got a a parrot and a tortoise, but who they're named after, you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out. So that's in a fortnight's time. Uh, Do dip into the podcast. We go to huge countries. Have we been to India yet? No, we haven't. That's coming up soon. I know we've been to Tuvalu. Is that the smallest of the Commonwealth countries we've visited so far? I think it is. So the whole gamut of the Commonwealth is there. The whole world of poetry is there. But that's it for today. If you are a father, well done you. If you are um, a child and have a father still alive, if you feel like it, I hope you will get in touch with them for next weekend and maybe learn a poem to speak to them, give them a poem, give them a book of poetry or introduce them to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast. But I think that's it for now, isn't it? That's it from us. Happy Father's Day. Thank you very much, Afra, And happy Father's Day to the father of your children. And... Thinking actually back to my own father, if uh, if they're tuned into the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast in heaven, I assume that's where he is. I hope you enjoyed it, Dad. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is presented by Giles Brandreth and Afra Brandreth and produced by the University of Chester. Our special thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. And to you for listening.